Sorry, sorry. Here we go. This is the Coach Haas Podcast, powered by Sports Rehab PA, Bucks County's premier sports rehab. And tonight, Mike, we have another great guest on. Um, I've been following this guy for a really long time. Uh, he's out of Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Athlete Fit. Uh, it's an athletic performance and research center, like I said, out in Overland Park, Kansas. And um, they do a lot of the things that we do here, uh, but he adds that, that piece in that I talked about, the location by us, Max Football. They have a lot of the skill training going on there uh, out on the field. But the piece that they're missing, which is, you know, good because we're across the street, 50 yards away, uh, we could provide that, that strength piece that, you know, the, the part of the plyometrics and, you know, the, uh, the actual, the rehab, obviously, what I'm doing, because um, Scott does a lot of that as well. So um, I want to introduce our guest and I want to get into um, his background and uh, his journey on how he got to where he is. And uh, so without further ado, I want to introduce Scott Moody. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. So, yeah, um, Mike and I, like I said, Mike and, uh, Mike and I have been working together for the last year or so. And um, so we had this thing going here, but we want to kind of see what you're doing out there and see how it kind of ties into what we're doing here. But first kind of take us back into how you got started, how you ended up where you are now. All right, so, so fresh out of college, played, played football in college at Louisiana Tech, and then uh, um, my fifth year just GA'd in the weight room a little bit and kind of fell in love with that whole process, uh, the, the training and, and, and everything associated with that. Um, always kind of wanted to be a coach. Uh, I always wanted to, was passionate about that, and um, just loved the developmental process and wanted to dig deeper. Uh, moved back to Kansas City uh, 1997. Um, started working in a rehab facility, uh, doing a little bit of uh, kind of return to sports training uh, with some of their athletes. Uh, it's kind of an exercise tech. Um, and learned so much about that whole process and that the confident return you know, to sport after injury and Developed a lot of good relationships with docs and, and PTs in the in the area, and so many clients. As soon as they were ready to return to sport, um, you know, we were basically kicking them out of the facility and saying, "Go on your way." And so I was getting all these calls. You know, uh, you know, kind of still work with you on the side. Right. Um, so I talked to the hospital, and we decided um, a, it would be great to part ways, but still have kind of a formal par- partnership. So I started my own business with this group of clientele, and. We went from a return to sport development company to more of a performance training, speed and strength company. And pretty much uh, doing jump training. You know, this is in the, in the late 90s. Uh, yep. So, you know, it was, there was no performance training, you know, out there at the time. It was uh, either track, you know, work for, for sprint drills for speed, you know, or jump training type programs. So we had a lot of volleyball basketball players that we were working with. Mm-hmm. And then a soccer coach comes to me one day and says, uh, Hey, I got this team. They're pretty good. And, you know, I'd love for you to work some speed and agility with them. And I was like, Hey, I, I know nothing about soccer, you know, nothing at all. And he's like, doesn't matter. Just <laughs> speed and agility. Keep it simple. Um, so we work with them and they, they end up winning a national championship that, that summer. 
um, through no part of what we did, but they were a really good team. So that fall, I'm flooded with soccer teams wanting to come into our program. Well, volleyball and basketball, that was kind of a downtime for us. So we filled it with soccer players, and they stayed through the winter. Volleyball players couldn't get back in. Basketball players couldn't get in the spring. And all of a sudden, overnight, we shift to this soccer performance training center. Wow. So I, I'm like, I've got to learn more about this sport. So I must have, I must have spent uh, – like, you know, does this does this story sound like any bit familiar? I've been telling this story for weeks on oh, the show. Someone this else is I might know. <laughs> this is good. And this yeah. is this is funny because I've been following him and I didn't know this part of the story. So this is great. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. So um so I would stand on, on the sideline at practice, um, stand over a coach's shoulder and just kind of I'm seeing movement issues, I'm seeing footwork issues, uh, all types of strength and balance type stuff. But the coach is talking about where their vision is, where they should be looking, or that touch was, you know, misplaced, or that that pass should have been played here. And so I'm trying to connect all the dots, and I start working with these coaches. And um, pretty soon I'm, I'm figuring out, you know what, this is not all that different from my sweet spot and what I know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these skills that they're talking about that, they, that they're doing are just footwork drills that we do with the ball. And so I'm starting to see this, this integrated approach that we can do combining, you know, quick feet and stability and balance and explosive first step with touches and different combinations. So we start playing around with it, uh, you know, for a few years. And over time, I start interacting with these players. And over a 12-year period during that time, we, we actually had, I think it's up to 18 players that started with us in middle school that have signed pro contracts. Um, we've had wow. sent hundreds of people to college on scholarship and all these people keep coming back and they're like, I liked that drill. And, and this really made an impact. So we would dig deeper into those drills and we would did, why did, why did it make an impact? Why did you feel that way? And over time we've, we've been able to use our players feedback to kind of mold the program. So I would, I would not say that I am, uh, you know, this, this guy that came up with these drills, but they just kind of generically happened. Sure. Sure. And, Out of following and watching the movement of the sport. Yeah. And, yep. and, and the interaction with the players of, but that, that doesn't feel quick. Why doesn't it feel quick? Watching mm-hmm. the way they move, filming them. Um, for instance, we took a, we did a film study where we videotaped 200 athletes that didn't train with us. Uh, we just went out to the field, set up a camera, and we timed them in a five-yard explosive lateral start. Mm-hmm. Okay, think about a, a, uh, a base runner stealing a base. And we marked them as either fast, average, or slow. And then we went back and looked at what all the fast kids did and what all the slow kids did. And it was, it was night and day. Every fast kid started with a little bit more of an angled lean, and they lifted the front foot repositioned and drove down and back as they opened the hips to run. Every slow kid would take a step forward, basically reaching and pulling, or their feet would just stay locked in the ground and they would pivot. And we're like, okay, well, it's, I'm just going to try to mimic the motion that the fast kids do. And so we started training different uh, footwork and, and different techniques based on what great players do. We did the same thing with skill. We did the same thing with you know, different touches and, you know, all the speed and agility work. And that's kind of how we grew and developed as we 
filmed everything, talked with the players, took their feedback and worked it back into the program and then uh, tracked everything. So we tracked everything daily um, so that we could kind of get uh, this whole process flowing. How long have you been tracking the process? 21 years. Wow. We went through a, a period where we partnered with a club and we tested uh, 1,500 players in the club four times a year in three skills tests, uh, a speed test, an agility test, a fitness test. We lumped all the data together and then we followed those players for a four-year period. And when we lumped it all together and put it into a formula, kind of played with the skills tests and the speed tests a little bit, we were able to take those players and I could take a team and tell the coach, here's your top three players, here's your bottom three players. And it was yep. 100% accurate. Yep. We could say, this player's on a first team, this is on a second team, this is on a third team. You know, and we could track their development and kind of draw a trend line. Um, and then we looked at you know, our programs and were they improving above that trend line of natural development or were they below? And so, we were able to justify the success of a certain program that we were running at that time based on how our players improved above or below that trend line. And then we throw out different drills and we put in new stuff. And that's kind of how we created the sequence or the program, the system that we have now. Amazing. Mikey, I know he's down there thinking he's my thinker. I, 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 I let you go and talk and then, and Mike's sitting there. I know he's got a question or two. Go ahead, Mike. Far away. I mean, it's it's cool because it's cool to see how stuff is done around around the country. And you know, social media and podcasts, you have the ability to be able to network and talk about this type of stuff. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, we didn't. You know, you didn't really know what was happen- happening outside of your bubble unless you went to some conference. Right. So it's really cool. It's just it's just really interesting to see how different programs are doing stuff. And as we start to look at Sports performance, you know, whether it's at the pro level, college level, high school level, you know, we're starting to try to find trends as to what is making programs really good, you know, because now, you know, there's no real big secret with the training, you know, Um, everybody's got their workouts online, everybody's posting these things, it's like how many different types of exercises can you do, I don't think there's a magic bullet exercise because there's certain athletes that do better with certain training than others. So, you know, it's a matter of finding the algorithm for the kids, but like you're saying, you're working on these skills and stuff. So what I'm kind of looking at is when we look at programs, like what is making them successful? Like if we took the NFL, for example, we find that teams that are doing well are the ones with the least injuries and the ones that really, you could see those skill sets, like something that really stuck out to me while I was watching like the Seattle Cardinals game, uh, the, the other night, and I noticed that the Seattle players were really fast, and we brought on um, uh, a power and speed performance guy that used to uh, work over with Joe on a previous episode, and he even made a comment on that game, and he posted a clip, and I noticed that one of the, the uh, defensive players was able to make a cut and get down the field to get to a tackle, and you just saw it really stuck out to me. Now that I'm looking at it a little bit more, performance perspective, you see those players and the difference between them and the difference between some of the Cardinals players, I'm like, wow, Seattle is fast, explosive, and on point. The Cardinals just look sluggish. And you look at these teams and you start to see injuries and performance, and then now you start thinking about it like with the soccer programs because, you know, Joe and I, a lot of what we hear from a lot of the parents is we want the kid, they go, I want my son or daughter to get faster, get faster. We talk about this all the time. It's the biggest thing. They got to get faster. 
And we're talking about the components as to, well, how are they going to get faster? We have an individual here who can't stand on one leg. They do a single leg squat and they're wobbling all over the place with retropatella pain. So the parent needs to understand why they can't get faster with the way they are. So with, with the kids that you're seeing, I mean, are these, are these kids that, you know, uh, fundamentally are developed and they're just at that next level? Or are you seeing kids that are coming in and are still having these issues and compensating? Will you pick that out and be like, hey, we're seeing issues. You got to maybe see, you know, a specialist or something. Like what, what is, uh, I guess, the, you know, the fundamental balance of these kids that you're working with? Yeah, we see the full spectrum. So okay. we, we see kids uh, yeah, 10 years old that are okay. going through development and coordination issues. Um, we see pro players um, and everything in between. Um, we have about uh, 50 players in our college program that come in in the summers um, that are pretty high level. Um, and the class right after that is a lower level of you know, middle school kids that are just trying to work through the rhythm. Yeah. So we see the full spectrum. Um, one thing regarding the speed stuff, um, I tell all the parents and, and, and players that we work with, um, there's, a, there's a huge genetic component to speed. I mean, some yes. kids are just fast. Yes. Okay? Yeah. And so you're not going to be that fast, yeah. you know, as fast as that kid. However, if we look at a 40-yard a dash and um, that kid pulls away from you at the end, well, if I can get you two-tenths of a second faster on the first five or ten yards, if I can get you more explosive off the start, which I can develop, mm -hmm. then you'll be that much more ahead of him. And, and over the course of 40 yards, it won't be as much of a separation. So we look at what we can develop as opposed to what we can't. You know, I, I don't have anybody in our program that runs a 4-3-40. Right. You know, right. I, you know, but we do have a lot of people that are super explosive off the 10-yard. Mm -hmm. And we have people that change direction really well. Right. And that is team sport. It's that, it's that five to 10 yard explosive burst, closing speed, separation speed, and then the ability to stop quickly, reposition the feet, adjust the body and come out at angles um, efficiently with no wasted steps. And that's, that's sport. If I can get that, then I've improved your ability to manipulate your body, maneuver your body within the game. Um, and create an impact as you go in hard on a tackle, as you separate or close on a, a, an opponent. Um, instead of focusing everything on um, sprint drills and rhythmic work and, and, and the, the stuff that is not going to help you all that much in a game because that rarely shows itself and you're not at a genetic level that you're ever going to be elite. Bingo. So kind of uh, taking what we can improve and focusing in on it, honing in on those things that we can really make an impact on um, and not trying to do everything. Do you notice, and I see this a lot with the taller athletes, more with girls than boys, but with taller athletes, understanding how to get low, get into those angles and generate the power out of there. Yeah. They... Because I, I, you know, I don't know. Is it because they're told to be, you know, stand up tall all the time and do, that they don't, they, they just don't. Do you find it more with that type of athlete than, a, than another one? Because I do. I, I don't know. Yeah, totally. 100%. Um, and, you know, so what we do, and, and we do it every day um, in our programs is, is warm-ups. We do what we call our, our, our bounce drops or our bounce sticks. Um, which starts with a rhythmic bouncing pattern dropping into a squat, and we just do it repetitively, um, asking them to find their sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by sweet spot is 
how you know drop into a position where you feel most powerful yeah. and over time that gets a little bit lower with the taller athletes they get into that position where they can they can explode out of we do it with our shuffling patterns where we ask them to bounce in or drop into a shuffle um, into a position they could sprint out of so the focus of all these things is not just performing the exercise but what do you need to do after that you're getting into a position so that you can do what and we work it in a rhythm, low impact, high volume manner. It gets some blood flow to the legs, gets some warms up, prepares the ankles for any plyometric work that we're gonna do, any strength work that we're gonna do. And it, it also teaches them to feel more confident and own that power position. Right, right, bingo, owning that position. And then that's coming back from a rehab, you know, ACL we see, we're seeing a lot of, um, and, and, and getting them you know, early stage, getting them to, you know, bounce and, and get into that, that comfort zone, that, that, that sweet spot. I like that. So transitioning real quick, a little bit to the rehab side of it. I, I don't do the physical therapy side. I work with the, the, the docs, the orthopedics and the, and the physical therapists. Yep. Um, and what I say is I'm, I'm focused on that, um, that neuromuscular side, the rhythm side, the coordination side, mm -hmm. the, that confidence side and i'm not going to address the injury i'm going to work everything around the injury and get them more comfortable moving through those patterns um, as we as we do that we find that um, we call it walking agility you know it's so we we walk through the patterns and we uh pause them and we focus on the position they want to be in um, it allows us to correct things along the way and mm -hmm. for them to feel what it should feel like so by the time they do a hopping test or a shuffling test in, you know, uh, or any type of a, you know, lateral agility test in rehab, they've been in that position a thousand times. They know where they should be. They know how the feet should move. Gotcha. You know, it, it feels yep. normal. Yep. Yeah. I'm just so kind that, of walking them through that cab, Mike. That's really what, what we're doing. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of the injuries, um, you know, the ACLs and stuff. I mean, Joe gives me an update. It's like every weekend there's like, you know, a handful of girls going down more, you know, um, it's the ACL stuff, it's the ankle stuff. Uh, you know, the biggest battle that we talk about everybody about is getting um, these athletes to understand that, you know, they either have to do this rehab to, to improve these things, that they're not going to be able to do the stuff you're talking about if they can't understand these basic shapes and patterns. You know, we have these ankles locked up. They're not going to be able to get low to be able to squat or get uh, – they can't jump. So they can't squat. You can't get jump, you know, when they're – so when they're landing, they're compensating at the knees, and then they're getting knee pain, and they don't want to take the time to address these issues. So they're just playing through the pain, and they're band-aiding it up, taping, stuff like that, ice, all these things that they – that is like this old, old school mentality. They're just trying to do to tape it up instead of just taking a step back and improving these these issues so they could get and do the things that are required of them. You know, I mean, what you're doing, what the coach is doing is to allow them to play soccer better, but they can't do what the sport requires because their basic movements are, are not are not there. And I listened to, uh, are you familiar with who Kelly Starr is? Yep. yep. So Kelly was just on a podcast with Eric Cressy and was talking about all this type of stuff. And Kelly was talking about that, um, he uh, was uh, he used an example of a surgeon that he knew that was saying when they were doing ACLs, um, the guy actually stopped using a drill on their bones. He had to use a hand screw because the bones were so soft. 
And what he's saying is that a lot of these kids are just get so deconditioned and they're not as active as they should be that the bone density is not there. Wow. You know, and then he used another example because when I go to the, you know, I'm certified with the functional movement systems, the selective functional movement assessment, all that stuff with Gray Cook and those guys. And Gray Cook said that they're seeing more of this prevalence of hypermobility. It used to be just in young girls and now it's also in males too. And uh, Kelly was saying, what do we do with these hypermobile athletes? And he's saying what you're saying, we slow them down. Yep. slow it down and go into this. And I noticed with a lot of these athletes, they come in and they just want to do stuff fast. They're using mm -hmm. momentum to complete it. And I'm like, slow it down. And the ones that listen are going to be the ones that are going to retain that neuromuscular control because the fear is that, oh, well, they're going slow. They're going to lose speed and power. And it's like, no, if you think that doing a slow eccentric controlled squat or holding an RDL or a single leg stance and going to that movement or doing a slow toe touch to understand those movement pads is going to make you slow. Uh, you know, imagine what they're going to do once they gain that control in that, and then they add that on top of doing the explosive components. Cause right now they're compensating due to movement. And one test we'll actually use is we get this return to sport test, which was the, the four single leg hop tests. Yep. And Joe and I were noticing that sometimes you get kids that can move through it really fast. So they're hitting the time requirement to say that they passed, but the quality of the movement to get to the, the end point was horrible. And yeah. if you were to look at it in slow motion, you're like, Oh my God. But they're like, Oh, but I, but I hit the time. It said I need to be at six months post-op. I'm like, but what you did to get there was horrible. My example was you had the emergency brake on and you floored the car. You'll get there, but you're destroying it to yeah. get there. Right. So we use this fundamental capacity screen now that functional movement systems developed where it looks a little deeper into these components and it's like a safety net that, you know, it, it's just kind of like a, uh, a gradient that picks out these, these, these compensations because you'll see where if they could jump off or land onto single leg or what they look like when they're doing um, impact control and explosive control and, and bounding and it's a little bit more specific than that. And then you start to see when you start breaking it down a little more where those deficits are. So it's really interesting, but it just goes back to what you're saying about getting them to practice those positions over and over and over again so they can understand where they need to be for the sport. Right. So, so we do um, something similar with all of our movement screens and we have all of our interns uh, come in with their phone and they will film um, the group doing, for instance, single-legged hopping. Okay, so single-legged hop on the right leg, on the left leg. They film them from the front. They film from the side. And then we go back and we have the interns, uh, you know, pick out our five key points of observation. The foot interaction with the ground, mm -hmm. um, the, the movement of the knee positioned relative to the ankle and hip. So any medial knee tracking or drift or too far excessively forward. Um, we look at the pelvis and we look at the, uh, does the pelvis have a lateral tilt, mm -hmm. anterior, posterior tilt? Um, torso position how do they use the torso as a counterbalance as they come down right, the flexion and then we, yeah and, and and then we look at rhythm mm -hmm. and so you got five points on the right leg five points on the left leg it's a pass fail test it's a very subjective test but what it does is it gets the intern to look deeper into the motion i'm looking at the foot because that's going to cause a lot of the things up the chain and yep. the intern will start off say they have weak hips because they had medial knee tracking Hey, weak hips because they re, as they position the foot into the ground, you know they were they went into pronation. It causes everything to go in. The hips were fine until that happened, you know, and you know, or they were too vertical. Knee came excessively forward, and so now the knee gets into a bad position. So 
it's a very subjective test relative to the tester, but it gets you to look deeper into the motion. And when you do enough of them and you see the good movement and the bad movement, um, you start to learn a lot about, okay, these athletes look, they look athletic. And like, what is athleticism? Well, you know it when you see it. Yeah. 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 And uh, so we look at it that way. Over time, you do so many of these that you don't need a scoring system anymore. You instantly see, and you use the word shapes, which I use a ton as well. I'm looking for shapes in key positions. Yeah. How do they extend out? How do they land? How do they absorb? Mm-hmm. How do they take the load? Where do they stop at the bottom? And we're looking for these shapes. And you can see it out of the corner of your eye. When somebody doesn't match that shape, you instantly draw your attention there. And it goes foot, knee, hip. Okay, boom, that's there. Do this with your hips. And now we can start to pick apart and identify little weaknesses, imbalances, things that we need to correct. Maybe it's a cue. Uh, Maybe it is a strengthener. Maybe it's a mechanical thing. You know, we just have to look at it. And you know what? When you you bring that up, and I use the ACL because that's the – the injury that I see most in here. Um, and Mike and I have talked about this. Uh, I'm going to use this example. Say we have a, a girl coming in with the right ACL recovering. What I've noticed a lot of, and we talked about this, Mike, about 80% of them that are coming in have something in the left foot. So the opposite foot to the knee they injured. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. uh, it's unbelievable. And, so we had one of these one of these girls come in, and we were trying to explain to the parent that most likely that this happened because of this issue here on the left side. It was the right knee, and they weren't getting it, and they got frustrated. You know, long story short, um, they went back to play, and you know they're they're doing their thing. But it just to me, eighty percent of these girls. And I'm saying girls because 90% of the people that I'm seeing are girls. Right. You know? So, um, but I see the opposite side. Are you seeing stuff like that as well? Yeah, I can't tell you how many um, ACL injuries have happened right after a slight ankle roll or something to that where um, it's it's been a issue at the foot, at the ankle, and then you get the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Um, we see those imbalances come in all the time. So... It's something that we need to look for, we need to address, and the more um, patterning and uh, repetition we can get in our warm-ups of correct patterning on that, you just kind of build that consistent stability, mm. uh, that confident motion, um, and then the, the trust is there in both legs. Yeah, so we, we've been using uh, part of what the FMS system uses, they use a motor control screen. And the first part is, is ankle mobility. And there's one where you'll look to see if they have the feet in tandem and they will bend over both knees, keeping the ankle down, seeing if the back knee will clear the malleolus of the front foot. But then you also could go down, you can measure it objectively and see, are they getting equal on both sides? Because sometimes you put them on the table and their feet will move up to like 15 degrees dorsiflexion, but you load the ankle and that thing's not moving. So you got to clear that. And then if that's good, we could go ahead and take a look at that single leg squat. So we have this forward reach test and it'll give us objective data of can they clear double their foot length on both sides. And then what, and then like you said, what is the quality of that movement look like? Maybe they're clearing, but maybe they're doing something weird to get there. So we clear up the foundation pattern there. And then, you know, once the foundation and the muscular neuromuscular control is good, then we add weight to it. Can you do these movements? Can you squat? Can you lunge underweight, you know, and load it? 
And then we go to the next step is we're going to add a higher load. So it's, you know, impact explosive control. What do you look like? So you might squat well, but then when I ask you to go to jump and land, maybe you just don't know how to produce that power. I mean, because there's a, one of the tests is looking at arms versus no arms with the broad jump. And can they clear their height in the jump? And what are they doing to get there? And then what happens when they land? And then you got the double and triple. So when they're trying to rebound and go from that, so they're jumping, trying to get a ball, landing, and then going. What, did, what does that look like? So we could see, not only the quality of the movement, but their, their numbers, you know, and the same thing for single, a single uh, jumping off of one leg and then landing on one leg and then seeing the, the symmetry between both. And then that kind of will tell us a little bit more where we need to train. Because a lot of them come in, like uh, Joe just had a girl come in and, and she was all nervous about it. And I explained to her, look, you, you passed and you, you met all these things, but these are the areas to highlight and what to work on. So we try to promote as athletic performance is going, we want to parallel it with these things. And when I, when I listen to a lot of coaches talking, you know, in some of their teams, I'll actually have some of the, the, you know, the girls or the guys go and actually lift after the game or work on these things. Because I think sometimes at this high school level, sometimes they're going into the weight room, they don't know what they're doing. The guys are in there doing like arms and stuff. And it's like, guys, this is not what we need to be working on. Let's look at when we did this testing to show the areas that you need a little improvement. Let's spend 20, 30 minutes doing these drills. It doesn't have to be like a high, heavy volume. It could be like three to five sets of just working volume of five, of five to eight reps of some moderate weight, you know, and, and just controlling that movement and working these patterns in as we're going through the season, you know, working on ankle mobility, things like that to maintain. And I think the biggest battle we have to go with is trying to get them to understand that it's, it's soccer all year round but there's no maintenance to parallel it. And they're just yeah. dropping off on these stats. So uh, how do you guys work with that in trying to keep the kids balanced? So they understand that as an athlete, they have to take care of themselves and they can't just be all the eggs in one basket. They got to space it out so they could be a well-rounded athlete and have a healthy career. We, we've been fortunate enough that we've got um, the majority of our kids are pretty much year round kids. Okay. Um, and uh, year round, year after year, um, the teams that I work with, I work with uh, six to eight teams throughout the year. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough that the coaches, um, and I have a great relationship to where they trust that. The kids come in before practice. I work these things. They know what those kids are doing. Awesome. Um, by the time those kids are seniors, um, they're so independent that we yep. can individualize everything for those kids. Um, and it's, it's worked out that way. So we, we do have the, we try to develop those relationships with the coaches, if not with the coach, at least with the player to understand the balance. And uh, we try to connect the exercises that we're doing with the game that they're playing. We try to ask them, uh, you know, how do you basically let them guide us? How do you feel? How are you playing? Um, do you feel a little quicker? Do you feel a little slower? Do you feel sluggish? And then we can start to tie in, hey, these, these three exercises that we're working this week, you know, that's why we're doing it. So put the attention into that area um, and makes them buy in a little bit more so they don't just yep. see it as strength training or, yep. you know, they, they see it as trying to fix that one area where they are weak and how it impacts their game. Now, do the teams that you work with and the facility that, that, you, that you run, are the fields right there so where they are – going from the field into the weight room right there, or is yeah, it they something? Yeah, they come right out from practice. Uh, so or that's ideal. Logistically, right? that's, 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 that's a home run logistically there. 
Yeah, in 2009, we moved into this complex where, you know, we had 12 fields right around us. And, you know, some of the coaches that we worked with were, you know, using those fields. So it made it convenient. Um, but it's been awesome because, like, now I've worked my way into a thing where I take the first 45 minutes of a 90-minute practice, you know, oh, on Thursday night. Gracious, yes. And, and the coaches are a able to pull out a few players and do some position-specific stuff. And we kind of rotate through that, but they, they trust me. I trust them. Sure. Because and, what you're doing is applying to the sport itself and you're not just doing things where the coach feels like it's being wasted time. Yep. And, and the coach, the coach comes up to me and says, teams are performing awesome. My O five team. Um, and he's got data to prove this. He's like, uh, these three players are uh, completing less than 30% of their passes in, in the games, the last three games. And as a team, we're under 50%. So he's like, can you throw into your agility stuff a little bit of precision passing? So I tie in uh, some off-ball movement with precision passing between cones and discuss how players move to create those passing lanes, work first touch. For me, it's an agility session. It's a quick right. feed agility session. For the players, all they're thinking is, I need to get better at this precision passing and setting myself up to, to a give and go and be in a good position to, to receive. So, and the coach sees that and he's like, Hey, love that. Love that. Run that next week. And so co coaches communicating with me and being open enough for me to say, okay, we're going to do some agility work, but I want you to watch right. the passing and feel free to step in, you know, and, and mention some things. And Can I, awesome. I got to jump in and get down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this, because I want to go back to the very beginning when you told me that you never played the sport in your life. Never right. practiced it, never played. Right. Didn't even know anybody that played mine's growing up. Bingo. Me, so me either. And that's the that's the running joke when I tell people they because I get asked, oh, what position did you play? Things like that. Never mm -hmm. played. Right. So with that said, when you're going and doing these things, how did you how did you start to learn the lingo, the jargon, like and understanding all that and and using the soccer terminology, right? You're not just saying, okay, do this. Like you're using that jargon with them. So now they're really buying in like, oh, coach, you know, like, okay, yep. he knows what he's talking about. They, they all assume that I played by now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> how, how, what did you do to get, get beyond that? Yeah. Um, well, it started by hanging out on the field, just sitting over the coach's shoulder. Mm -hmm. And then something would happen and the coach would get on a player. And I was like, what did you see there? And they would start to say that. And I'm like, okay, oh, oh, here's what I saw. Okay, I see what you're saying. And, gotcha. and them understanding that I was willing to learn, mm -hmm. it's almost like, wow, this football player is actually interested in my sport, which I don't think happens all that often. Yeah, and, they almost and, become amazed. Like, wow. And so, so they want to teach. They want you mm -hmm. to learn. They want more fans of the game. They want, you know, and especially if I'm working with their players, they want me educated enough to do it. For so sure, I was fortunate sure. enough to have a lot of coaches that uh, would love to have those conversations with me. And then a few years into it, I was able to say, okay, now what do you think of this drill? I'm running this drill and I'm doing it for this purpose. And they're like, oh, that'd be great if you could connect some passes in with that. And I'm mm. like, oh, okay, give me a week or so. We play with it and then we do it. And now they're using that as pregame warmups. It's that true communication between strength coach and actual skill coach and, yep. and tactical coach. And really yep. combining those, wow, that's good stuff. And and I, I would say I've learned more from players than they've ever learned from me. Mm -hmm. So I, I mm -hmm. just um, by listening and being open, 
um, and not coming off as the you know arrogant guy that's going to say you got to do this, you got to do that. Um, it's it's more of a how did that feel? Okay, what if we tried this? What if we try? Oh, does that feel better? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we're working together to get them to the point that they want to be. Um, so it makes me a little bit more approachable sometimes. Some of my players wouldn't think I'm that approachable, but uh, uh, yeah. uh, um, we got to be tough sometimes, right? By the time they get older, they, they realize it. So what, uh, what strategies are you doing to try to communicate this to the parents? I think that, I think one of the biggest battles that Joe and I work with is, is the parents. I think, cause you know, they're going to be spending the money and the time, but they're just very anxious to have their kids on the field. And an example was, I had an individual uh, come in and she had her ankles were, were horrible. I, I have geriatric with better ankle mobility than this. Mm-hmm. And she kept playing and playing, even though she had pain. I was like, how'd you play? And she's like, I still have pain. And even after the initial eval, after all the education and the demonstration and they could see the deficits, you know, they're up in the front and, and off to the side, you know, the player says to the parent that she wants to play. And then he turns to me and says, she, you know, she wants to play. And it's like, well, who's the adult here, you know? Right, right. So, I mean, how do we get them to understand? It's like, I feel like everything went in one ear, out the other. So, <laughs> like, what strategies do you do to get them to understand the importance of this and saying that, you know, you're at a high risk here, so we need to fix this? Um, that, that is a huge battle, and I still fight those battles because it's, it's uh, you know, we need playing time. She needs to be on the field. She needs to be, you know, involved. And so I – I don't want to say no. She needs to take a break, you know, from this. But I'm like, look, you got to sell out to this. And if you're coming in here once a week for 60 minutes, and you know, we may spend 10 to 15 minutes on that aspect, she'll understand what I'm talking about. But she didn't get better. And then it's it's got to be something they do on their own. So I'll give them some drills that they can do on their own. We've uh, yeah we've got an app that we we have out that we can you know assign them drills um and then i'll talk to the coach send the coach a message and saying here's what i'm seeing here's where i think the risk factors are and usually the coach is right back at me saying i will get in her ear we need to fix it mm. you know it's you know that you're getting, you're getting a total buy-in you know it sounds like which is gotta yeah, get the coaches stuff. here joe let's go that's it, that's <laughs> it. i know so because I know usually enough of them. if the players haven't pain, they're not, they're not playing at their highest level. And the coach knows that. Right. And if you can identify exactly why the coach is like, Hey, fix it. You know, let's fix this. And then the coach gets in their ear. And, and if the coach trusts you um, because you've identified that and, and has had success with some of the athletes in the past, uh, they're willing to pass that off usually. Well, I've tried explaining to some of them, uh, like you're saying, you're doing a lot of bulk, ball control drills, you know, footwork, things like that. Uh, you know, some of the athletes I'll see, they have a problem when they have to really run and cut. So I'll say, look, let's focus on what you can do and what you can't do right now. Let's improve these foundational things. But right now, let's work on your ball control skills, the things that aren't giving you pain. Let's get into the shape positions that you can do. And let's ease back off of the stuff that keeps reopening the wounds. So you're still working your skill set, but you're not doing the stuff that's aggravating it. It's just like if you have a runner stress fracture well we can work strength and stability we can work biking we still work conditioning even though you can't run but we're still doing something instead of just sitting on the couch doing nothing right so let's focus on what what, what we can do right so so um with the ball skill stuff if you if you ever listen to me coach a ball skill session you won't hear me say a single word about their touch um it is all about the way they position their feet the way they're you know moving their body um, that their base, their support, the quickness in which they do it. 
um, angles, positions, things like that. And so what I found is if I want to work a quick feet session with somebody who's got slower feet, but they're good with the ball, if I put a ball at their feet and I just demand more speed with the ball, they see it as a skill session and they attack that thing with everything they got and they're at a high enough level that they can control the ball. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to get this way better than an agility ladder. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm actually getting real world uh, quickness, you know, work with them. If the kid does not have a high skill level, then I do want to bring out some rings or cones or ladders maybe from time to time to work just the rapid repositioning of the feet under the body. Mm -hmm. um, take the skill component out of it to get them to be able to reposition the feet enough. Give them that visual, that visual cue first, then take away the visual cue yep. and then put the ball back in there. And too many times you walk out to the fields and I'm seeing coaches and they're doing um, yeah, skill sessions. And I'm like, the players are moving so slow mm -hmm. and the touches are so like not realistic to the game. I'm like, let's speed this up with some quick feet and then work some touches, you know, so that we can be hitting it from both ends. So that when they take that touch, they're in a position to explode and separate with it instead of just touch. Scott, what are you seeing with the, um, with the soccer cleats? Uh, you know, is this going to be something that is just part of the sport, almost like ice hockey? The foot's in a locked position. You're going to play on it. It's part of the sport. Coming out of that, you got to work your ankle mobility and reset. It's just part of it. Or are you starting to see that maybe they're going to start developing shoes that are just a little better for the, for the feet? You know, just like, you know, running's evolving. It's just coming out with so many more better shoes for different types of foot types and, and, and you know, foot drop and all that. I just feel like as a soccer cleat evolving, are you seeing better things? Or are these kids always going to have just these tight ankles and they just got to gotta take care of it outside of the, outside of the sport? Yeah. Um, can I, I, I just want to add one piece to that. I'm sorry. Also the, the size of the cleat. That's right? what I was going to comment on. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that's the number one thing that I see is we tell them all to go short. Mm -hmm. I would rather them slip a little and lose their footing than it stick in the ground because that's where the injuries are going to happen. Um, they all buy into that. Um, they, they all see it and they'll come in and they'll be like, Hey, I just got these new cleats. Are these too long? I'm like, yeah, they're a little bit on the long end, mm -hmm. um, especially in this turf, they're going to catch and grab. Um, and so they may take them back and get something a little bit shorter to deal with. So that's the number one thing. Um, those cleats are not built for running. And I mean, that type of stuff. It's, yep. it does, so a lot of them have inserts and they, they use different things. So um, we'll look at that aspect, but the stud height is probably number one. Would you go away from a stud and do more of a turf type of cleat if you were going to play on turf, or do you still want some kind of stud? Any of the indoor facilities, turf? we use just the like indoor shoes. Uh, gotcha. Just basically, I'd prefer flat right. uh, for going indoor, even if it's uh, indoor with a rubber fill. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the outdoor fields that we have, um, it's it's still pretty thick and deep. And they'll slide quite a bit if they, you know, have the more indoor shoes shoes on. So they do need a little bit of grip in there, but I'd say go as short as you can go. Right. You'd rather see them slide out than get locked in. Yep. 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 You know, a uh, worst case scenario, they that that foot slips out and you get a slight groin pull or something like that. Right. Yeah. Versus right. versus a broken ankle or you yeah. know ligament damage, yeah. you know knee injuries, you know so. 
So you speaking of injuries, good segue there. Um, since you do so much data collection, do you track injuries that, that come into the teams and, and um, you know, pre and post type testing? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, in the very beginning, um, a decade ago or so, um, hamstrings were quite, you know, probably the number one mm -hmm. um, injury we were seeing and uh, the, from kids that were coming into the program. Um, so we started putting in just a ton of work, not isolated hamstring work, but just a lot more lunge based stuff, depth, the range of motion, mm -hmm. uh, forward lean in the step up type position to get a lot more glute hamstring activation as they do it. Um, and really a lot of, uh, you know, focus on, um, you know, full range of motion, hamstring stuff instead of isolated. And, um, I don't think we've had a hamstring injury in five years. Wow. You know, I can't think of any. Yep. Knock on wood. Um, for the other stuff, we track um, ankle injuries, typically from getting kicked or stepped on, um, which are things I can't avoid. So we kind of just erase those. Um, ACLs, um, contact or non-contact. When yep. you go back and you look at the non-contact ones, what surface were they playing on? How were they, you know, moving? We try to dig back deeper, mm -hmm. and you can usually point to a series of factors. Um, most of which are out of our control um, that, that led to that. But every once in a while, there's one and it's like, look, we identified that and did not, you know, I didn't hammer that point home hard enough right. with the parent, with the coach. Um, and this is what happens. So that's, um, we do track those. We track return. Um, I've had some athletes, you know, hit the field running uh, five and a half months post-op. I usually say don't even try till nine months. Okay. Um, I love a year. You know, if it happens at the right time in the season and we can take a full year. Yep. Yeah. Um, but so I usually tell them, you know, nine months, but I just had a girl, you know, come back five and a half months, played, you know, a half uh, and is now playing high level. Five and a half months. Five and a half months. Huh. Um, and I was totally against it, by the yeah, way, just yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But uh, huh. um, she was one that she was in four weeks post-op. She was doing some work on our arc trainer. Um, we were conditioning three times a week, doing a lot of upper body and core work. Right. And then she was right into that walking agility, uh, moving around a ball in walking patterns. Some just, some just have it. I mean, it, yep. it's very yeah. rare, very, very rare that that happens. But you almost can see it when they come in. Yep. You know, like the, at that point, I feel as though I'm already trying to be like reining them back because I can see that they just want to. And I'm like, listen, when you get to seven, eight, nine months, you're going to want to go. But now you're still like we've talked about, Mike, in some of the articles that I start to send the parents when they get to nine months, you're still at a seven and a half times higher risk of, of retear or, or tearing the opposite side. So, again, depending on where you are in the season, if you've got more time that you can, you can milk another six, eight, 10 weeks, then do it. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's, um, you know, that's, what's great about these outcome measures that we have now, especially through FMS systems is, you know, when I first started working, it was just, Oh, you know, you look good and you go back and, and, and the kids and the parents love getting, hearing it from the physician that you're cleared to play. They love that phrase, you're cleared to play. And it's just no disrespect to the physicians, but 
they're not looking at the movement of the individual. They're not seeing the data. And it's like, if they were reading a report that I gave them that laid everything out and they said that, I would understand it. But sometimes they're in and out of the room. You look good. You're clear to go. And that's all they hear. And the blinders are on and it's, I'm going. But now we have these objective measures to look at that. And I start from the very beginning and explaining to them when they come in, we will have an actual green light to say when you are safe to run because we're going to have all these steps we're going to take. We're going to make sure that that single leg squat is stable regularly and under loads. And then we have that fundamental capacity screen that's going to look at your jumping and see, can you jump and land on one leg? Because that's what running is. It's bounding. Now you're going to be on a field in a cleat on, on soft surface going lateral and different movements running. We're not just going linear. We're not a road runner. So we got to add that aspect on. So when I explain all that, I say, look, we have all these measures in to look at when you're ready. And sometimes it's not just no running. It's we could maybe even start doing shuttle runs, sprints like that. Like, you know, Joe will do that, you know, on his turf. But there's a difference between going hardcore and then we just work in the mechanics. Because, I mean, some of the kids don't even know how to run. That's part of the problem. So then getting them into doing running mechanics, running bases, controlled environments, even if it's treadmill work. So there's like a progression where I feel like, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, it was just free for all, just go. And now we have more steps to take to get them to that, to that point. So speaking of mechanics and stuff like that, um, we, we use a, um, a non-motorized treadmill that's got resistance uh, capabilities built in. Is that the assault runner? Uh, no, we actually use the Woodway FTG treadmill. Okay. okay. Similar, a little bit faster than the assault, um, okay. and a little bit more resistant. So we'll put a belt on them, and they're resisted, and we'll put them in a forward body lean and get them to trust that, and we'll just do slow motion marching patterns. Okay. Nice. We can work on leg cycle and how the foot hits, okay. and we will do that where they'll do that for two minutes. And they're like, my hips are on fire. My yeah, hands are on fire. But we're refining that pattern. We'll get it up into um, light runs against the resistance where we work on the leg cycle. We work on that. We'll do different types of ankling patterns. Um, but anyway, it gets them to trust that lean. And you're building so much strength in the hips and hamstrings. We do retro walking and backpedaling on it. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking all those things, we're putting them in a safer environment and we're doing that in early stage rehab. So one foot is always on the ground, right? But it's that slow motion sprint drill type stuff. We, our ACL kids come back faster than they were before the injury. Yeah. Uh, the first stronger. Go, yep. Stronger and faster. Yep. Stronger and faster with better mechanics. Yep. And, and so, and we do the same thing with our agility stuff. You slow it down, but it's, it you just, got a chance to reprogram them almost. I, I actually, that's what I love about ACL rehab with these players is I'm like, perfect. We got time. <laughs> we got time to put yep. this all in. Yep. And yep. they're like, and they get excited because they're like, okay, I'm you're seeing in. progression every, every session. Yeah. Yep. And it's, and they come in multiple times a week and they're working on it. And it's, I mean, so I have more time with them. Yep. So when they come back, they feel great and they never want to leave. And they so, Awesome. So now do you have a program for them after that return to play? They can go into uh, maybe either more individual or, or small group, or do you have large yeah, group? So, How does that? So um, usually we go through that early, mid, late stage rehab program. Re they get cleared, return to play. And I'm like, no, that's return to train. Now you can actually get into training. 
And so we put them in a small group setting, usually um, with one individual session a week. And then we work them into the, the more group-based stuff, team training sessions, uh, modify an exercise here. They come in on their own to kind of keep up on the exercises that they felt rehab was very impactful, you know, that, okay. that, that, that really impacted them. So they can come in and do this on their own. Um, so they turn to gym rats and they just, wow. you know, want to be around because they, they like that now. They like the way they feel. Yep. Yeah. So um, that's that's a slow progression in, but I, I tell them all when you're cleared to play, that means cleared to train, and now yes. we can get back into regular training. Yes, thank so. you, thank you, thank. I'm glad. Listen, like I tell everyone, we have thousands and thousands of listeners, so hopefully they're all listening, Mike. This is great stuff. This is so now everyone knows that we're not lying when we say these things. This is coming all the way from Kansas, right? Yep. So we're, I mean, this is this is amazing. Um, I did have a question about the game speed training. What what is that? What is your game speed training? So, um, so basically, it's it's. Typical performance training, like uh, your typical performance training center, speed and agility, little strength work, you know, power work, uh, jump training, stuff like that. All those, um, you know, raw athletic attributes. Um, the game is all of that in a highly reactive, tactical and technical uh, combined or integrated manner. And what we try to do with the game speed program is we work all of those aspects but we integrate another player. We integrate a ball. We integrate different patterns. We integrate aspects of the game so that they get used to the speed and agility with the skill. They get used to uh, running onto a played ball, timing that, working mm -hmm. around other players, communication. So it's, it's, it's like... Just arbitrary run through a ladder, run over here and there's no visual cue of a ball or, or actual, you know, game yeah. time or game speed. Right. And, and so we may do, a, for instance, in a typical finishing session that we might have. Uh, so where we're, everybody loves them. We're going to goal. We're going to do some finishing. Um, we start with a lot of, uh, you know, quick step to quick position to quick cutback type agility stuff. So we refine those patterns we include a ball into that that quick burst or separation with the ball can you find your shot find your approach to the ball and then we uh put another player in reacting to another player in a simulated 1v1 you know scenario and then we do a passive defending uh 1v1 to finish where can you create space to get a shot off mm. and then we go live into 1v1 to finishing stuff but it's like taking it and and breaking down the one component of just movement uh, just movement with a simple skill, movement against another player, and then movement against another player with really purpose. Breaking it down. And, and it's just this slow ramp up nonstop right into the finishing, the actual finishing session. So, how long um, would something like that take? What, what, is that, what is that right there that you just broke down? Is that, is that 20 minutes, minutes? 45 minutes. minutes. Okay. Um, so, I, I, can, I can do it in 30 mm -hmm. um, if you, but I like, you know, to, take my time with it, get them more reps. Right. And, right. and when you, when you look at it in, but you're adding warm up into that as well. Right. In a multiplayer passing session. So we put, uh, you know, everybody's got a GPS tracker, you know, on heart rate monitors on, um, we're in a, just a, a simple passing session, multiplayer passing session. 
they'll cover almost three miles in 45 minutes, okay, in a passing session. Um, and it's all this off-ball movement and, you know, quick movement to the ball. So it's constant movement. And so I'm like, look, we're getting fitness. We're getting quickness. We're getting agility. Uh, but you ask the players what they did. Uh, we just did some partner passing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that's all we did. Yeah, that's all we did. So, that's all we did. And so um, then you ask them to look at their watch and they're like, oh my gosh, can't believe we covered that much distance. I'm like, so there's your run for the day. You know, we, and so the more we can integrate um, all those factors into the same session, um, the player doesn't have to do so many sessions a day. So they have more time to recover. Um, they throw all of their energy into that session. And that's, that's the functionally integrated training or fit philosophy is that combination of, of everything that we do. All right. So now I'm, as, as you're saying that, I, I have two other things here. I know, Mike, we've talked about this before. I need to know your opinion, Scott, on the two-mile test. Do you? <laughs> this, this is the great debate. This drives me nuts. There's I already no, know what you're no going debate. to say. It's just, I, I know. You're right. I, I, I know already what you're going to say based on what you've already said, but I want everyone to hear this. Do you, first off, like the two-mile test? Do you do the two-mile test? And then what test do you do? So it's a three-part question there. Um, we do not do the two-mile test. Okay. okay. Um, so uh, we, we actually have played with a lot of different fitness tests. And, and when you – some coaches like, uh, you know, the two different styles of yo-yo tests. Mm -hmm. um, and what we found is if we do – we did a test with, uh, with a club one time where we did four different fitness tests. Mm -hmm. Midfielders scored better in this version. Forward scored better in this version. Outside back scored better in this version. And it's like, depending on what your skill set is as a player, um, certain tests are going to be a little bit better for you. Sure. So, so what we did is uh, about yeah, 10 or 15 years ago, we uh, created a test that is uh, – Start line, it's 10 yards down, 10 yards back, twice, and then 25 yards down and back. And then you repeat that, 10, 10, 25, mm. and back. So you have 60 seconds to do that interval. Um, and then you get a 30-second rest, and you repeat it again. Uh, but you got to do it in 58 seconds. And then you get 30 seconds rest, you got to do it in 56, 54, 52. So it cuts time off. And what we found was a lot of those tests, you know, it's incomplete recovery. So it's that 10 second recovery on some of the yo-yo tests or it's just continuously aerobic. So running. I need a player who can change direction, who can accelerate, who can cut back. Mm -hmm. And then in a game, they're going to have a period where it's going to be a little walking ball out of bounds, something where, it, okay, can you recover in that time and repeat it? Yeah. So when we did that test, um, and it gets all the way down to where it's 32 seconds, and they're repeating that 90-yard. I was going to ask you, where, where's the bottom? <laughs> uh, 32 seconds is about okay. as fast as people can do it. But to do that, you not only have to be fit, you have to recover fast, but you also have to be fast and be able to change direction quickly. Yeah. So it throws it all into one. If you're deficient in any of those, you're not going to score well. Yeah. So, But then I was able to say to a coach, um, 
give me your top three fittest players that, that can be impactful in games late. And it's the top three players in that test. And so I'm like, okay, now do your two mile run and tell me the same thing. And they're like, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> nice. So thank you. Um, Soccer is sprint endurance, everybody. Soccer is sprint endurance. And this is coming from two coaches had never played the sport that understand the sport because we're watching it and we hear it and we see it. It doesn't happen. You don't run. It's a different energy system. I explain this to people. You're not even using that system in the sport. The byproduct of your anaerobic or your sprint endurance will be an increased VO2 max. Yep. Am I I right or wrong? Yep. And and I will tell you – uh, this is going to sound funny. Our fittest players that play 90 minutes strong and perform awesome at the end don't do any additional running, but they go all out in practice small sided games. Mm-hmm. And they do no running on their own. There you go. You don't have um, to. And, they, it, and so I'm, I'm telling them go hard in these drills, go as hard as you can in these drills. Pressure when, you know, all the time. You know, and in a game, you will feel like you have so much time to recover and they do. And when they buy into it, they're like, wow, I don't need to go on a run. I feel fine. Exactly. If you want to do that, that could be like a recovery run or yep. a recovery bike session, something where you're not going hard. You know, I mean, uh, Scott, it is all summer long. It begins in May, about the first week of May, all the packets come in you know, from the coaches over the summer, this is what I need you to do. You need to do your two mile test. And, and they spend all summer long trying to run two miles. And I said, yeah. you're, you're making yourself slower. Yep. You my, sprint. Yeah. My, my least favorite test is the repeat 300 yard shuttle test. Okay. Um, I do use that one. So now I want to know why you don't. Now, now if it's, if it's run as a 300 yard shuttle, like, like one time, and then you give them a two to three minute rest break, and then you run it again and just look at the difference. Yes. Okay. You're just looking at lactate accumulation or however you want to look at that. Um, That's fine. But the ones that run like four sets of it, five sets of it with decreasing times where it's got to be faster. And I asked the players, do your legs ever, feel like that in a game and they're like no (laughs) No. and I'm like okay so different energy system completely different you know so it's basically a test of toughness can you battle through it and if that's what the coach wants to see okay I'm fine with it um but if I doubt the coach is looking at it the way you're looking at it of you know recovery and endurance things like that but that's that's one I I like maybe one of those Okay. I don't like the repetitive nature yep. of it because yep. it just trashes. I me. usually stick with two. So I like that. Okay. So I can keep yeah. that in there, but so let's hear some other things that you other. So you have the yo-yo. Yep. You have, um, what so, do you call that? The, 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 uh, the 10, 10, 25. Um, we, just, we, just called, we just called it fit test. Okay. Uh, then actually we didn't have a name for it and our players just always referred to it as the fit test. So that's, that's what we did. Okay. Um, so it's uh, basically that one is the one that I think is it's the most difficult to run because you as a coach have to be on the, the time calling them out. The players have to understand the pattern. It's not right. just a simple run two miles. Right. Um, so I, I like that if you're, if you're good at doing it and the players, they don't like it. It's a fitness test, but it's, uh, it's, they feel it's applicable to their sport. Right. Um, 
the there's one called the gauntlet that coaches run um you know that uh basically it's like a mile test a half mile 400 200 and then repeat 40s something like that Mm -hmm. um I I think a lot of those tests the coaches just want to know can you mentally battle through it did you do anything over the summer yeah you know and you know what am I dealing with here you know uh, what was your commitment level over the summer yeah to get you to this point now I tell our players we train four days a week 90 minutes a day and all my college players and uh I just tell them, hey, go all out in these drills, and you will be fine. And they never have a problem with any fitness test the coach throws at them. Yep. So um, I'm just like, if, if they can attack everything with that mentality, then forget training for a two-mile test or training. Let's not put all your eggs in that basket and focus all your training on something. Exactly. That has You're not no a track impact. star. You're a soccer player. It has no impact on what you have to do on the field. Exactly. So the, the kind of finish up the back end of that, what – what are some things that you talk about as far as recovery? Because if they're going hard in them sessions, and this is what I try to tell them is, you don't have to go hard every day. Because mm-hmm. if you're going hard with me today, then tomorrow we can use it as some type of recovery day. You know, whatever that yeah. may be. It could be a mobility session. It could be a massage. But please, after a massage, don't go and try to work out. You know, like. Right. Um, you know, make that day a complete rest day, or maybe it's a bike ride. You know, what, what do you do as far as recovery? So, so we, most of my teams practice four days a week. They practice four days a week, and then they play on the weekends. Um, the coaches are pretty good about having certain practices that are a little bit more difficult than other days, and we kind of structure our training around extremely low volume, um, high effort type drills. So it's not, um, uh, that um, exhausting. They're not super sore from the workout the next day. It's uh, you know, pretty low volume, but extremely high, hyper-focused. Mm. Um, in the summers, when we're getting them ready to go um, into a preseason, you know, we are on the field uh, for 45 minutes. We're in the weight room for 45 minutes. And each day is different. So uh, the Monday session might be a lot of skill work, which is going to be tight, quick, and they're going to feel it in their hips. And then the Tuesday session might be some of that partner passing, which is more of an aerobic, slower movement, checking off the ball where they cover more distance, but it's a different type of movement pattern. And then we might go into some speed work where we're actually opening up and, uh, and running a little bit, uh, working on some reactive acceleration and things like that on the ball. Um, and then we finish with some game type stuff on Thursday, a lot of small sided games. So we do mix it up. So we're kind of hitting, uh, kind of a different energy system, different focus, different That's types sure. of movements um, throughout the week uh, so that they have a chance to, to kind of recover. And then we tell them usually take the weekend off, you know, relax on the weekend, go to the lake, you know, enjoy yourself. If you go on a recovery run, keep it slow, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and then we do the same thing with the weight work. It's a power focus day. Then we may shift to an entire upper body and core session, um, completely let the legs you know, recover from that, then we may do more of a, you know, strength day, and then maybe do some, a little bit more interval type, you know, training and complexes uh, with light loads, you know, on that last day. So um, just kind of mix it up a little bit, adjust that. And all of these things progress throughout the summer, um, kind of ramping them up to the time of Jay Lee. Good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take it into the, uh, 
the three questions that I'd like to ask, and this is kind of where the, the whole podcast was kind of built on the curiosity of, you know, uh, what people's daily habits are, you know, what are some things that keep them up at night? You know, what are their, their big obsessions? So I'm going to start off with number one. Uh, what are some things that are keeping you awake at night? Keeping me awake at night. Um, things, things regarding training that keep me awake at night. Mm-hmm. Um, could I, could I have done more? You know, that one case, that athlete that I, I knew I needed to address this thing, but we were in a group and I didn't take the time to do it. Um, and wasted time, you know, that type of thing. Did we, did we lose time? Were we um, impacting these athletes as much as we could? Are we making the best use of our time? So I'm, uh, that's, that's one thing that uh, regarding training, that keeps me up at night. So it's not like you're second guessing. You're just, you're just always wanting to know that you can make, the, how can I make the session better? Yeah. I, I, I could have cued that different. Uh, yep, yep. That, that session could have gone better. I can do that, you know, that type of thing. So gotcha. I'm nope. kind of a perfectionist and I'm always. Sounds like a coach to me, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like someone who's passionate about what he does. And that's why we brought you on this podcast. These are really the people we network with, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Question number two. This is, this is the most intriguing one of all. Cause I just, I'm very curious very about people's success habits, you know, like, well, give me, give me kind of like your daily routine. Like when you're first waking up or and, and, and things that, that have helped you get to where you are. I mean, you're running a successful business out there. You're getting tons of teams coming through there. You have uh, athletes from, from young ages all the way up that have signed professional contracts. So w- what are you doing as far as your success habits? Um, I, I scour the, you know, internet, uh, you know, even you know, social media for um, uh, research articles. Mm-hmm. So, and I find one and whether it's a, just an article, whether it's an interview with a coach, whether it's a actual research on a certain topic. Um, and I always start my morning off by going through those reading and I'm, I'm not looking to duplicate. I'm looking can I draw one thing? Can this inspire me to add a piece to our program? Can I then take that to my staff and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And then I get their ideas. And that's how we get a little bit more creative in what we want to try. So it's, it's not duplicating what's already done. It's taking what's done and seeing how we can use a component of that or pieces of that to kind of enhance what we do, fit it into our system. And, you know, I, 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 I like to start my day slow by just kind of easing into that with some things that kind of, you know, open, open my mind up to being creative. Are you a meditator? Um, I, yes, I, okay. I meditate typically after workouts. Okay. I find that that's my best time after a good cardio workout. There you go. Get down, get down. <laughs> yep. A uh, little, little prayer time, little meditation time, quiet time. I feel like that's when I'm most open. Amen. So. Amen. All right. Um, all right. Last one. What is your, uh, what's your biggest obsession right now? Biggest obsession. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, I work with a lot of equipment manufacturers mm-hmm. and on new products and things like that. So they send us demo products and I work with their engineers and I work with things like that. And um, we come up with uh, good protocols to use and work with their sales guys on how to get those out into the industry. Um, and we're we're like 
neck deep in trying to find ideal loads on resisted treadmills, non-motorized treadmills. Um, ideal loads for improving acceleration. So not top end speed, but acceleration. And what I consider acceleration is that 10 to 30 yard range. So I know we can get stronger, more explosive and improve that uh, zero to 10. Um, I know we can work a lot of sprint drills and top end speed and plyos and bounties, stuff like that. And we can work uh, even some overspeed type training to, to get that top end speed. But that middle section of acceleration, uh, that transitional component, um, I, I think we're close, but I'm really looking for just the ability to that blend of power and pure speed. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm just nose deep in that right now so that's that's awesome that's really cool you know what when you talked about the speed part this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation and i and i wanted to to take a piece and, and talk about it these parents come in and they talk about their kids getting faster and we talked about like they don't need really top end speed you know yeah. it's, it's 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 the acceleration so you're not looking to be faster you're looking to be more, more, um, you're looking to be quicker, quicker. right? It's, it, it, you just got to be quick five yards, 10 yards, because that's where the things are being won. You're, you're, you're getting to the basketball, you're getting to the net for the ball, you know, for yep. the, the block shot, or, or, or you're trying to win the ball from somebody, or you're trying to get into space. But typically, I mean, how many times you're seeing, unless it's your outside backs making long runs, you're not really seeing stuff like that, you know? So it, it's, it, you're, you need to be quick, not, fast it it starts with anticipation you know it, can i can i perceive what's coming in can i anticipate what's coming can i quickly reposition my feet tactically to put myself in a position to react um do i feel solid stable in that position and now from that position i should be able to put force into the ground you know in the perfect direction to accelerate out so it's like taking all of that. And then once I've done that, because that part we've got nailed, you know, I can, I can drill down on that part. Once we've done that, okay, can I separate or close on that player? Can I, can I come out of that clean, um, still in full control of my body? So if I have to quickly decelerate, react, and reposition again, I can do it. So that's, that's that part. So instead of top end speed, I think that's, that's where your money's made. Acceleration. Right? Acceleration. Mike, bring us around. The wrap, up. wrap it up. Wrap yeah, it up for us. Here. A little spiel at the end of every episode, the little wrap up. Um, well, once again, thanks for coming on, Scott. This was awesome. Um, I think this episode, Joe, should be sent out to a lot of the parents, the ones that you have a good relationship with because they're the ones that are going to listen to it and then mm -hmm. spread it along the sideline. Yep. You know, because they just got to hear this stuff because I just feel like the more that they hear it from more voices, mm -hmm. they're just going to get it. And I don't, I don't, I think the education um, is just really minimal because this is not just our podcast talking to you. It's not the only time I've heard this. Listen to a lot of other fitness podcasts. And this is like a, a national thing with the organized sports and just the, you know, just the, the, the pressure of, of just constantly doing sports-specific stuff. But these, these, these kids got to be able to just, just play and, and do things and, and just learn how to just function as an individual. And they're not. I mean, it's just amazing how, like, there's a lot of dysfunction in, in these kids. And they're asked to put these demands on. 
And as rehab specialists, we're trying to clean that up. And we just really want what's best because we want to see good performance. I mean, I mean, we, we, love, we love it. We love entertainment. We love performance, love sports. You know, kids are naturally drawn to movement. So they want to do things. Um, you know, so I think, you know, it's just that that's what makes the fun about this is trying to network with people like you, Scott, and like Joe and the other people who bring on these podcasts that are on the same vision of wanting to make things better because there's a lot out there that it's, it's garbage, you know, and, and even with the social media too, I mean, that's a big thing too. And they've been blowing the lid on that for, for a while that you get these influencers. I talk about this all the time. There's someone with no degree, no experience, but they look good. And they could sell people on nonsense and people are just wasting their time. And it's sad. So we live in an age where all the information is there, but now people have to sift through to find out what is real and what's the truth and understand why. So that's why these podcasts are really cool for people to come and just sit and listen to understand and get good information. And people actually know what they're doing and, you know, ignore just this, this, these blogs and this other stuff online. just telling people to do like <laughs> ridiculous stuff. You know, and get people in the right direction, you know, because I want to see, you know, these kids doing well. And now, you know, you're a father of four, Joe's a father of two. I have my, you know, my first daughter. So, you know, you don't want to see them go through this. I mean, ACL injuries are common, but they're not normal. A lot of the things we experience in this country are becoming common. They're not normal. So we want to, we want to reverse that trend. And we want to get people back on the right track. And it's definitely an uphill battle. But I think the more we implement the, these cool systems and, and use this new technology we have in terms of recovery and training and all this stuff, we can really see that because we're seeing what, what, what some of these athletes are capable of doing. You know, I mean, there's some really phenomenal athletes out there, genetics and stuff. So you see what the human body is capable of doing, but you also get to see how even a high-end athlete can go down with injury. So it's just finding that right algorithm and really, you know, creating, you know, basically a good program and getting a good product, you know? So, um, so yeah, man, this is really cool to have you come on and just see what stuff is like going on across the country. You see it in PA, see it in Kansas, see the parallels, see things that you're doing is differently. And, you know, it, it's cool to have you also even as a resource to reach out and say, Hey, you know, what are you seeing about this? What are you seeing is that? And just, you know, continuing to, to build the network. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Scott, where, uh, where can we find you on, uh, the social media platforms? So on, on Instagram and, and Twitter, it's Athlete Fit Coach. So at Athlete Fit Coach. Um, and our website is athletefit.com. Michael, where can they find you? New handle at honeybadger underscore juicy, where you can find all the juicy training and all the good stuff PT related. Scott, I have fun on my Instagram. It's not only totally serious. I, I, you know, it's social awesome. media. Have fun with it. So I'll post all my workouts and stuff. I post PT stuff, the podcasts. Um, I write articles for one of my sponsors and stuff on injury things. So um, I could always even tag you in those, just cool stuff. Um, it goes out into uh, an endurance athlete, uh, OCR community, and uh, just cool things on just basics and fundamentals and things that people can work on. Uh, you never know maybe what pearls you know you could do, but I know you have a network with your own PTs. But um, I like doing that. I like sharing things. I come across cool podcasts, cool research articles, and I get to the house each month. I like to pass that along. So you never know, like you said, what information can help you out. So you like to dive into that a little bit. So yep, let's share absolutely. That stuff. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Haas. You can also go to YouTube and go right into the search box and put in coach Haas. There is two there, but when you go to coach Haas and you'll see my page, it'll have sports rehab at the top. So uh, Scott, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate everything you just made. You, you, 
you've solidified everything over again. Uh, you're doing great stuff out there. Keep up the, uh, the great work. Hopefully sometime we can get you out to the East Coast here. Let's do it. Let's do All it. Right, man. Cool. All right, All right. Thank you again. I appreciate your time. Right. Everybody, have a great night. We're out. Thanks, All right. guys.